Hello, hello. Welcome to Artifice episode 114. Oh boy, here we are. Middle of November. What? How did this happen? It feels very weird. And I am feeling like pretty up and down in terms of mood. Some days I'm like, ooh, I love the fall. So cozy. I have been making... Well, I made one new soup recipe that I've made like a couple of times because it's so good. If you're interested, you know, message me. I'll send you the recipe. It's a it's a white bean stew with sun-dried tomatoes. Delicious. Um, I've been making lots of scones. And then, oh, also like wedding season is like pretty much dying down. So I've been able to spend, you know, a little bit more time with my very, very tiny handful of closest friends and then on the other hand it's dark so early the holidays are hard for me sometimes as a person who has family trauma so yeah it's kind of like up down forward back every every day a new feeling a new vibe so that's my status quo which is a constant shifting of status quo um but you know there's always plenty of things to be looking forward to. I am really excited about a lot of things um, that I'm kind of, uh, you know, seeing on the calendar in 2022. Okay, so today's episode, I'm really excited about it. I have been trying to get a gardener to come on the podcast for genuinely over a full two years. Like we're coming up on three years now um, of this podcast. I, I started doing interviews in um, you know, like the December three full years ago. And I have had such a difficult time finding garden people because every time I reach out to someone, they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm not a real artist. Um, which of course is quite silly. Gardening is one of the, you know, original art forms. And I love plants so much. I'm so moved by plants. I'm certainly as moved by plants as I'm moved by most forms of art. So I'm thrilled to finally have been able to interview a gardener. And Sheridan was so charming and shared so many beautiful things. And I loved talking with her. And I think you guys are going to love this interview as well. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Miss Sheridan now. Sheridan Hansen is an assistant professor of horticulture for Utah State University Extension. She is located at the 100-acre USU Botanical Garden in Kaysville, Utah, where she tends to several gardens, runs the Davis County Master Gardener Program, and teaches many public classes. Sheridan's interests lie in vegetable and fruit production, urban small-scale farming, and cup flower production. Sheridan has been a recurring guest on KSL Studio 5 and the KSL Greenhouse Show, where she shares information and knowledge about horticulture. Working as a horticulturist is Sheridan's second career. She worked as an OR nurse for 15 years at the University of Utah Orthopedic Center, along with some of the world's best surgeons and nurses. She decided to follow her true passion and pursue a career in horticulture in 2009, when she started a small-scale farm in East Layton, Utah. 
Sheridan has been immersed in farming and horticulture ever since. In addition to her Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Utah in 2002, she has a Bachelor of Science in Plant Science um, and a Master of Science in Plant Science from Utah State University. When not gardening, Sheridan can be found playing with her dogs, Pippa and Otis, exploring mountains, running, biking, and skiing with her husband, Wayne, and two teenage boys. Um... Yeah. And I forgot to say, in addition to Sheridan coming on the podcast and, you know, declaring herself an artist, I, you know, I love a comeback story of someone who has a very creatively vibrant youth, um, then goes, you know, kind of away from, uh, creativity for their professional career for a time. And then, you know, comes back and stakes a claim in that creativity again. Um, you know, slightly later in their adulthood. I think it's wonderful. I love these kinds of stories. They're so triumphant and such a beautiful reminder that creativity is something that each of us can have. And, you know, of course we can have that creativity in plenty of ways. It doesn't need to be a full career overhaul, but, um, you know, the kind of bravery of a full career overhaul is always so inspiring to me. Um, so yeah, it's a good one. I hope you guys love it. I hope that you're enjoying your fall. I hope that you are feeling great and only great and no dips and no seasonal affective disorder and no holiday time gloomies, etc., etc. Um new music coming pretty soon. I'll have more on that in the future, but for today, I hope you enjoy my interview with Sheridan Hansen. Here it comes. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. It's kind of a, I don't know, it feels uncontrollable to me. And I'm like, I, I don't know what to do with this right now. It sounds really cool, though. No, it's fun. And we had some beautiful scarecrows. We had some artists bring in wow. um, some just incredible pieces that they created. And so it felt kind of artsy. And then it was people can come and just walk yeah. um, at their leisure and whenever they feel like it. So it was a really relaxed event, but yeah, that yeah. sounds awesome. It was in Ogden. It's in Kaysville. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I didn't know there was a botanical garden there. Yes. So we have a cool. hundred acres there oh my that gosh. I help maintain. Yeah. I, uh, well, I will hear all about that. <laughs> um, I, I love going to like gardens. Uh-huh. Um, I need to do more of that. It's like something that like soothes my soul. <laughs> it does. It has a way of doing that. I grew up in Arizona where there are not as many plants and I'm like mesmerized by plants. Yeah. I think because of that. Yeah. <laughs> like the juxtaposition. Arizona has some really unique plants though. So, I mean, you say I'm from Arizona, not a lot of plants and I'm like, Ooh, that's a place yeah, I'd really like things. to go and really get used to the plants there. Yeah, so yeah. there are some cool ones. Like we have like the Palo Verde tree, which is uh -huh. like all the green, uh, branches and trunk, all the, all the whole tree's green. But yeah, it's definitely a, it's definitely a different it's different than like the majesty of like a big, yeah. like yeah. fully green. Very garden. different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I like to start with people at the beginning of their beginning of their lives and ask, what were you like as a creative child? Okay. So what were you up to? And you don't have to be 
thinking about things that you're doing now or like it doesn't even have to be mediums just like what was going on with you as a child okay so do you want me to answer now yes please (laughs) okay I didn't know if that was the official question no I'm happy to to dive into that so um as a kid I was a very much outdoors kind of kid you Um, grew up here I did I grew up in Utah in northern Utah in Layton okay um spent the majority of um my childhood you know, here. Um, I lived next to a ranch, which was great fun. And I think I spent more time on the ranch than I did anywhere else. So yeah. So, um, it, it was an older gentleman and his wife and they had never had children. And so we became kind of their adopted children, my brother and I did. And, um, just, I have a lot of memories being there in that space with animals and just being kind of that free range 1980s kid that you think about kind of that cliche. And, um, it was great. Um, you know, my, my parents probably didn't know where I was half of the time and that's okay. Um, when I was about, um, let's see, 10, we moved out of the country and that was a very defining moment for me as a child. So I went from being this very free range out in the, in the dirt kind of kid to being very confined in an apartment building in Asia, in Taiwan. And so we, yeah, we moved to Taipei, which was a very exciting thing for us and very difficult for me at the time. Um, because, you know, I was at that age where your friends start to become like really important, important. you know, you're about to be a teenager, you've got this group of friends and to be uprooted and moved was, was a little bit hard for me, but, um, actually ended up being, one of the most defining experiences yeah. of my life. So. I was going to say, there's a lot of like a lot of uh, botanical culture there too. Yeah, there is. There um, definitely is. Can I ask? So, um, I I've talked to a couple of people who grew up like on a farm or grew up in a ranch, um, and it's interesting to see like the way that those kinds of things really are formative, like in your creativity. It might not be like the thing that someone would immediately think. Uh, that that's linked to creativity. It makes sense to me, but I'd love for you to elaborate on like what about that kind of environment like sparked a creativity or like felt creative? Um, It was that I was uninhibited. I think that I could, if I wanted to sit down and dig clay out of the ground and mix it with water and make, you know, kind of this kid pottery that we used to (laughs) make, or I don't know, it was just, there weren't a lot of rules. There wasn't a lot of structure. So I really got to explore the space around me, the environment around me, what dirt felt like, what these plants were like. Um, you know, we had like open ditches and I'm sure there were all kinds of things down in the ditches and we were down there too. So, (laughs) and it was just very uninhibited and a way to just really explore who I was and what I wanted to do that day. It's and, very yeah. inspiring too. Like, it is. I my grandparents had a cabin that we would go to sometimes as kids, and um, there was like a creek that almost never had really any water in it, and we would go. I would go down in the creek, um, and I had I had this thing like I just I felt like I had I always had like this project. I would do it like every summer when we went. I would try to find different like rocks sandstones like different colors and I would like grind them up and try to like make them into paint and it never really worked but But you learned from that experience and it was like a it was just like it's in it's an inspiring environment yeah for sure for sure Um, and well and if you think about it um when you're a kid and you're out there just kind of 
in the environment with no um, screen in front of you, nothing else to occupy, you're going to occupy yourself and you're going to really connect with nature, which is kind of where life springs from anyway. So you end up having this very deep connection with the earth and what she has to offer. One of the things that I love on this, like talking about with my guests on the podcast is like just this idea. I think sometimes we think creativity needs to start with an action and I'm obsessed with like all of the things that happen just in our minds, like creativity starts with inspiration. It starts with ideas. Um, you can spend, you know, years, uh, being like very actively creative in your mind. Right. Um, before, you know, you're ever kind of like participating in willing something into existence. Well, and I totally agree because I think that that creative process, it it rolls around in your mind for a really long time before it maybe is ever born, if it ever is. And sometimes, you know, you have these thoughts that you roll through and, um, maybe nothing comes of it one time, but another time something comes out of it. Yeah. And I I love the idea of like encouraging people to, to just remember that creativity, like it isn't action necessarily. And, and to kind of take that time, like to take extra time, um, in those pre steps, you know, in the dreaming steps. Totally. Yeah, totally, totally. I think it's really important. And I, and I, I do think that part of the reason why I think a lot of people in our culture struggle with creativity or say they're not creative is because they're just like expecting to just sit down and like paint something, you know, like it just doesn't, and that may not like be that. how it works for you or for your process or yeah, well, for anyone. Like, yeah. I, I think it's like a, it's just a myth. Like, and it's, I think it's very like productivity, capitalism, kind yeah. of like the values of like, it has to be produced or it's not, you know, we, we, we don't as a culture do a great job at valuing those other things, <laughs> the intake of inspiration, the like just sitting still and thinking, daydreaming, wandering, exploring. Yeah. And I, I totally see that. And I, I appreciate you bringing that up. That is a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, but I, but I'm, I'm very, um, like romanced by this idea of like a childhood in the ranch. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like, sounds amazing. It it was amazing. I, I, we got to help birth cows. We got to ride horses. I mean, even though it wasn't our ranch and it was just our neighbor, he was really, it's almost like better because you don't have to associate it with like of chores. Right. Maybe. I mean, we did do some (laughs) of the chores and we did help a lot, but you know, I mean, uh, that weight of, of carrying the ranch was never on our shoulders. Yeah. You're like your parents, like talking about how uh, tenuous things are. Right. Yeah. It's like you get all the magic and like none of the stress. Right. Which was a great way to grow up. Right. And then, well, and then you grow up and then you realize that everything has its own stressors associated with it. And maybe I just had this very romanced childhood and that's, that's okay too. Uh, Oh, definitely. I mean, we we hope for a romance childhood, I think. Right? <laughs> I Isn't think, that what yes. we want? We want that for all children. Yeah, I think so. So tell me about Taipei. So Taipei was very interesting. And like I said, I had been taken out of this kind of country, what what we called a romanced kind yeah. of ranch life and plopped in the middle of this massive city. And um, my dad built golf courses okay. all over the world. And so he was building two 
extremely large golf courses in Taiwan. And he was there for five years. We were there for about two and a half. Okay. So we moved over so that we didn't have to be apart all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, really incredible experience. I went to an American school. I didn't go to a Chinese school because I didn't speak Chinese. That would have okay. been really difficult for me. But um, my dad's boss um, put my brother and I in the Taipei American School, which was a huge learning experience for me because coming from an American type education and then moving over to an Asian-based kind of education, I was very behind the other mm, kids. Interesting. Yeah. So it was a lot of catch up and it was push, push, push so that I could be academically at that same level that the other kids were at. Yeah. And it was lonely. It was a really kind of lonely place for me because, I mean, despite being surrounded by people, um, you know, I was far away from any of the kids that yeah. were in my classroom. Because uh, Taipei is big yeah. and, you know, we, we weren't very familiar with it. So we only had one car and my like dad would take it, it and hard, yeah, to yeah. navigate was very difficult and to get to somebody else's apartment building was very difficult for us. Mm -hmm. But, um, really interesting, um, learned a lot about myself there that, yeah, I could do hard things and yes, I could survive something like that. Mm. And then moved back to Utah and that was even harder at the moment. Really? Wow. It was so hard. Um, Why? Well, I moved back and I was 12 at that point. Okay. So definitely preteen. And, you know, at that time period, all the girls kind of form their groups. It's, it's, it's a clicky time. It is. And yeah. so I found myself without a click yeah. and um, needing to, you know, because I'd been the last two and a half years by myself. So really needing that click yeah. and then not being welcome in a click. Yeah. So it was a tough time, um, but it really taught me to be strong and to stand on my own. Yeah. And to rely on myself and my own thought process and to trust myself to yeah. get through things. So, Were you um, experimenting with any like creative mediums as a child? Um, a lot of the time, yes. My mom is an artist. Okay. So, what, kind um, of, what kind? She does watercolor. She does color pencil. She does, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of realism type drawings. Um, cool. You know, she's obsessed with drawing farm animals right now. So... That's right. yeah. it's like full circle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she, she's what we call a chicken rancher now. So she, oh, awesome. she has lots of chickens and she's always drawing chickens, which is great for her. And she was not, they weren't like farm ranch people when you were a kid. No, like, I mean, it's my. A, it's a hobby that she started later or a, a career. Yeah, kind of a, you know, the farming was something that kind of came later, but her, both of her grandparents on both sides were farmers. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, it's there, but she was not, she was yeah. not raised on a farm. Sure. Yeah, so the farm just keeps coming up in my life. Yes, I, I think that's great. It's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um. So you were draw. You were drawing. Yeah, we would draw, and I kind of had an obsession with paper as a kid. So if I could make something out of paper, mm -hmm. create something out of paper, that's what I would do. And I love the feel of paper. Like people will read a book on like a an Kindle iPad or, or a Kindle. Yeah. I can't do it. I yeah. have to have the feel, feel of the paper, paper in my hands. So, um, Were you, like, you mean like folding paper, folding paper. Yeah. I did lots of origami when we yeah. lived in Asia. Um, yeah. I learned how to do, um, where you would cut out with like an exacto knife, oh, these yeah. kind of abstract shapes. What's that called again? I there's cannot. For it. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure there's like a for real name for it. There but. was a time where I was getting like a whole bunch of advertisements on Facebook for like a kit of oh, that. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure I saw the name a bunch, but it was probably like a year ago. Um, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Like almost like were they like collages like two-dimensional or like sculpture two-dimensional okay I would I would like layering them yeah on layering kinds of things of um yeah shapes and 
tearing pieces of paper, things like that. That's kind of where I lived. And I loved to draw. I've always loved to draw, but I've never had the skill that my mom has had to draw that realism. I'm more of a cartoon artist. (laughs) Yeah. And what about like writing? Were you, did you like, did you write poems or stories or? No, not really. I mean, I, I'm more of a creative writer. So, um, as an adult going through graduate school and having to sit down and write research, yeah, yeah. that's been a learning process yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. It's not where I and live. You're in school now? No, I finished. Oh, okay. um, yeah. But recently. Yeah. So okay, very cool. recently I went back and got a second degree. Cool. Um, but um, to have to sit down and not write creatively and to just state yeah. facts is very difficult for me. I, I've been reading this book recently and it's so slow because I'm I'm too busy right now, but uh, <laughs> it's like the, with quarantine. Cause I, I'm like, I'm a musician. There was like nothing, nothing, nothing. And then everything. Right. And it's been too busy, but I've been reading this book by Catherine Coles. Who's a local poet. She lives in Salt Lake and she just put out a new book of poetry or a new book. She calls it, she calls it like a creative nonfiction. And I think I realized like that's the kind of writing I like to do. Just like beautiful and kind of flowery and sort of playful with the language, but like just essays, you know? Right. Like, I um, like that. It's her. I love her writing so much. I feel like every paragraph I want to read it like six times. I may have. To, yeah. I may have to look into this because this, it. yeah, this sounds like something that would be right at my alley. Ugh, I, I have been loving. I'm only like one chapter in, but it's, it's, she's, um, it's just like observational kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, beautiful, beautiful writing. Anyway, actually I had a, po- I had an interview scheduled with her and then, um, she had to, ca- she wanted to wait until the pandemic was better, oh. which is fair. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'll have for the listeners, I'll have Catherine on at some point. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Okay. So what about music? Um, I learned to play the violin when we lived in Asia. Okay. So that was a big things the Suzuki method is a yeah, big yeah. thing you know Suzuki's yeah, cool it is cool and so I picked up violin there and then um did that through junior high and then when I got to high school I, I dropped it okay. and I regret dropping it yeah, we all have to we all pick things <laughs> yeah I know you do and then as, a, as an adult uh I was a nurse at the University of Utah for 15 years okay. and found myself just needing to learn something new and picked up the cello at that cool. point. So went and tried to learn a new instrument cello as an adult. Is, cello is so cool. <laughs> it has cello, a, yeah, it has a beautiful sound. It Sorry. does. It's like a, it's, I always feel like the cello is like, like feminine in like such a cool way. Like it mm-hmm. feels like an alto voice to me. It like does. It's just, it's just like warm and I don't know. It's kind of like a sensual kind of an instrument. It definitely is. And I like that you said warm because it really is where the, the violin sometimes feels a little screechy. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I feel like people like the cello for like the same reason they like Karen Carpenter. Right. Yeah. Like it's just like, <laughs> it's like, it's beautiful. I really like it. Yeah. Um, okay. What about like any other kind of like dance performance? Were you doing any stuff like that yeah, as a kid? So I did ballet as a kid okay. and a little bit of jazz through junior high, but not anything that, that really went anywhere. I'm on with ballet. I got to toe and then I was like, I don't want to do I this. I did the it same hurts. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I did point for like a year mm-hmm. and then I was like, I can't, I have to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, like, this, this doesn't is, feel good. Why this is, is this the, fun? This is the point where it's no longer like 
oh, I'm in dance. It's like, this is where you start identifying as like a dancer. And I just, I'm not, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I totally happening. relate to that. Yeah. I was like, I'm out. Thank you. I'm going to go do something else. So, yeah. yeah. So when you were a child and I would say, I like, I, you know, I would say any, any time before maybe you're 15, did you, did you identify as like, I'm a creative child or did you just feel like I'm a child and children do these things? Um, I always felt like I was creative, Cool, but, um, you know, didn't necessarily identify as, you know, an artist or something like that. I didn't call myself anything sure. like that, but definitely felt more creative than some of my peers or friends. Do you, re- do you remember any kind of thoughts of like what that meant? Like why you found it valuable, what you felt like it like meant to be creative or just as you were kind of like self-reflecting as a child? Um, I always felt like it meant that I had an ability to kind of think outside of a box and bring something to the table that maybe somebody else couldn't bring. Totally. And so when we would do art projects in school, I would volunteer to do some piece of that because I felt like I could contribute. Did you, was that mindset of like thinking outside of the box, like as a value, was that modeled in your family? I believe so. I mean, both of my parents, in a sense, had a pretty deep rooting in some kind of art. So, like, my dad sculpted the earth yeah, into like a, like golf courses. Yeah. Or something. Uh, yeah. And my mom, you know, has this background as an artist, a classically trained artist. And so I, I feel like it was always something that was discussed. Like, how can you look at this differently? How can we build this? It was never... How can we buy this? How can we build it? Yeah. I love that so much. And I'm, I'm so fascinated by like, I want to ask people this question of like, you know, if your family was ever like, you know, sitting around a dinner table, like what were you talking about? Like what kinds of values were you talking about? And I, I love this idea that like parents, you know, were, were saying to you, like, what can we, how can we, what can we do? What can we build? How can we like think differently? Um, it's really cool. Yeah, it is a great idea. And I, I hope that my kids get that same experience because, you know, I've got that background and so does my husband. So hopefully that's awesome. They grow up with that same thing. I love it. And I also feel so, you know, when I started this podcast, like there were a lot of things going on that made me kind of feel like these kinds of conversations might be valuable at to me, maybe to other people. Um, but I, you know, I wasn't raised by creative people. Um, I was raised by people who kind of think art is not that valuable. And so I think for me, like being a creative child and feeling kind of a pull in that direction, felt very unmoored to me and very kind of mysterious. And like, I don't know where this is coming from. But one thing that I'm really fascinated by is when I talk to adult creatives, adults who've managed to maintain creativity and um, prioritize it in their in their lives, um, kind of tracing back and thinking like, where did it come from? Um, I've said this on the podcast a million times, but I've never said it to you. <laughs> I think we can imagine that creatives just are, like that they just kind of are. And I think it's almost never true <laughs> like, yeah. or rather maybe everyone's creative, but, yeah. um, I love the idea that like, like we were talking about before that creativity starts with inspiration. It starts with play. Um, and a creative perspective maybe starts with having, um, you know, respected adults in your childhood telling you that like creativity is valuable. Yeah, it absolutely is valuable. And even being, more in the science world kind of now as an adult 
without that creativity, it makes it difficult to navigate some of the problems that come up and be able to problem solve and creatively work through some of these problems. So I would love to tell all the parents out there, if you have kids that are creative and you don't value that creativity, maybe you should change your mindset because that creativity is so valuable and will help them throughout their whole lives, whether they end up being in an art profession or a creative profession or not, it does help. Ultimately, and, like it's just, it's problem solving. Yeah, it is. It and absolutely is. Imagining new solutions. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, think about it. If, if we don't have creatives out in this world, I mean, how far are we really going to get? Because I totally agree. you have to have that creativity to create new things and to problem solve and work through this world. Yeah. Or even just like one thing I, another thing I talk, I find myself talking about a lot. It's just like a personal favorite topic is like just thinking creatively about each other. Um, and if we don't stretch that creativity muscle, Wherever. I mean, we can stretch it in science. We can stretch it in business. We can stretch it in art. We can stretch it as parents. Um, you know, we can stretch it in our relationships. But if we're not working on it, it's very difficult to see, um, to think creatively about, yeah, about our fellow humans, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about particularly women that I deal with that, that come and tell me, Oh, I'm not creative. I'm not this. I'm not, I'm not like you that way. I can't look at that and see that, but you know what? Everybody has creativity in them. Mm -hmm. It may not be shown in the same way that it shows in me. You have to find that within you and don't say you're not creative because you are, you really are. Everyone has something in them that will, you know, blossom if they find it mm-hmm. and work with it. Yeah. And it, and it may, it may be an intangible thing, yes. which I think is also like, I, I like to always say, like, <laughs> you know, creativity can just be something that happens. It could just be ideas. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be, it can, creativity can be, you know, the way that you navigate a argument with a coworker. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it can be, it can live in all those places and it's, it's a skill that we like value and cultivate. Yeah. Um, so when you were like in high school, what were you, were you focusing on any particular mediums? Like how were you thinking about creativity at that um, time in your life? I was really focused on getting through school in high school. So I did not love high school. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw that out there. Same. Yeah. It was a hard place for me to be. So, um, I found myself, you know, kind of in the outskirts of everything and that's great. I mean, because again, it taught me a lot of different life lessons, but I ended up going to um, college early. I left okay. my senior year and said, I'm done with this. I'm moving on. And ended up just at Weber State because it was close to my house and it was an easy transition for me. It's a great place um, to kind of get your feet into the college scene and um, incredible professors. I started taking some art classes there and I was really just a senior in high school and um, had a really good experience with drawing cool. and some of those professors. And then even an English professor that had us, um, you know, analyze short stories, asked us to draw cool. some kind of thought or piece or just give me some kind of creative something on this piece of paper as you talk about these short stories. And I still have that cool. to this day because the drawings that I did, I'm still really proud of. <laughs> I love this so much. I, I love the idea of like artists being like, like treasuring your own kind of like early work. Mm-hmm. I think it's so precious. Or like when people talk to me about, you know, like their parents or their spouse, you know, whatever framing 
their work and uh-huh. hanging it up. I feel like that's so, um, it's like such a victory. It <laughs> is. I still have some of my like childhood drawings that I also treasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you should treasure them. They're yeah. a piece of you. And it's totally. it, looking back and seeing what you were working through and moving through at that period of time. It's, it's part of your story. 100%. Yeah. And I, and I also do just think it's, I can't think of the word, but it's like, I don't know, maybe like kind of, kind of defiant or like it's something to kind of, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's such a, it's such a beautiful like valuing of your own kind of sparkle. It is. To say like, I made this and I'm so happy about it and it like brings me joy. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of the times in the art world, most of the artists I know look at their work with a really, really critical eye. Yeah. And a lot of the times you see things and only see things that you don't like about what you've done. And so being able to go back and say, no, this has some value. This is totally. good. That's a good that's a good thing to work on. I was watching this documentary. I think I think I may maybe talked about this in like one of my intros for a podcast like a year ago, but I don't think I've ever talked about it with someone. Um, I was watching this documentary on Netflix called Disclosure um, is about uh, like coming out as trans or, mm. or disclosing like your. Um, I don't know identity in that way okay. i guess anyway that's not the point of my story <laughs> lily wachowski um who's one of the sisters that made the matrix oh, okay um she was talking um about the sh- she was one of the talking heads on the show okay and talking about um the tv show she made called sense eight which is um there's a lot of like gender spectrum in the sh- in the show and the characters but she said there's something like the quote is kind of like, there's something so magical about like creating something and then like using it as a handhold to like pull you forward. Mm -hmm. And I love thinking about artists using their own creativity this way. Like you are manifesting something like you're building something kind of out of thin air that then like is a reliable source of joy for yourself. <laughs> like I love isn't that. that a cool. Like I love that, and I I, I kind of like the idea of a handhold because that means that it's going to help propel you forward right. or in a direction. Yeah, like she was talking about how like she wrote characters for this show that had the kind of love and care for each other that she like wanted to find in a relationship, and like was inspired by like her own characters to know how she should value her own relationships. It's just like such a, such a beautiful idea. I like rewound the documentary and like wrote it down, <laughs> like texted it to myself in my phone. Cause I was like, that is like a, that is like one of those nuggets that like you remember and should never lose. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that's lovely. I, I love hearing, hearing that artists like g- get something back from like the thing they made. It just feels like it's, it feels really cool. It's like, you're not just creating the thing you're creating like a perpetual uh, like source for joy or something. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I love that. A source of joy. Definitely. Yeah. It feels that way to me. I mean, I think that's, I think when I was a kid, I had a difficult childhood and creativity became some, it became my like most reliable source of kind of manifesting joy. <laughs> um, like as a kind of a survival mechanism. Which is interesting. I mean, and you turn to that because, you know, it is that one thing that's not going to make your life more difficult. Right. It's a piece of you and you can, you can express feelings and get things out. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's very pure. Like no, when it, when it's something that like you're creating, like no one else can kind of 
take it away, you know? Right. Yeah, it's, 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 you. A, it's a powerful, it's a very specific human triumph. For cre- sure. Creativity, I think. For sure. Um, so when you were like declaring a major, were you thinking about art? I did think about it. I had a really tough time declaring a major. Please uh, tell me about oh it. Oh my gosh, we went through so many majors. For so many artists. So my thing creative. was, you know, I really liked art and I was really drawn to it. My parents, both having come from this kind of art background, did not want me to go into art. Mm-hmm. And that's because, you know, they were like, you're never going to make any money. You're never going to be, you know, successful financially. You got to look at something else. Yeah. And so my parents pushed me into, um, you know, a different direction. I, you know, I, I wasn't terrible at academics. I was pretty smart. And, um, my dad really wanted me to go into the medical field. And so knowing that I chose that direction, okay. you know, cause a lot of the times we do things to make other people I mean, happy. When we're eight, like the, I, I say this all the time, but like the idea that 18 year olds are supposed to have the tools to make oh, no. a life decision. <laughs> it's crazy. And you were younger. Yeah. I was a little yeah. bit younger and, um, like your brain isn't even fully developed at that point. You it's don't insane. know who you are. Yeah. How can you decide what you want to be? Right. It baffles me. Yeah. So I, I went into this profession, you know, I decided, okay, let's do this. Let's, let's go into the medical profession. I focused, um, I was ready to take the MCAT and start looking at medical school. Cool and followed a surgeon around for a day because that's what I was looking at doing. And I went, I don't want to do this. I can't do this for the rest of my life, which I'm grateful that I had the sense to say it then. But I had all these classes. I was like, what do I do with this? So um, I applied to nursing school on a whim at the University of Utah, got in and um, ended up, you know, pursuing a career in nursing at that point. Um, but it wasn't what I loved. Yeah. Were, were you able to, um, maintain any creative practices like during all those years? You know, I look back at my time in the operating room. I drew on everything. (laughs) We had windows into the operating rooms and I would take Sharpie markers and I would draw pictures on the window of the room that I was in that day. And we had, um, Dr. Poole, pool sheets for different, um, types of procedures. And so I would on, at the end of the day, my, my sheets would just be covered in drawing. So it was like, I was like trying to get out. Yeah. Yeah. I was this creative person trapped in this very sterile Mm because I was in the operating room. It was a high intense, very stressful type of job. And I loved it. I loved the people I worked with more. And, um, you know, at, at some point realized I can't, do this forever. This is not me. It's stifling to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to get out. And yeah. so I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How old were you when you stopped? Um, so I was, I was in my thirties okay. when I decided that enough was enough. So, so I was 22. Like a, about a decade. Yeah. I, I was just, I was just shy of 15 years. So I was 22 when um, I graduated nursing school and I had already been working in nursing for a little bit. Okay. Um, and then when I was in my early thirties, my dad passed away and my mom and I decided she has two acres in East Layton and we decided to start a little farm. Oh, wow. So the farm comes I back. It was both <laughs> of you doing a farm. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So we started this little farm together and went to farmer's markets and she sold her drawings and I sold vegetables because oh gosh. vegetables are what I am. Well, I wanted to ask, I mean, I haven't asked it yet. Like, when did you start like growing things? Um, I've always grown things. So oh. when, um, 
it was very important to me as a child. Um, one of my very first memories of being in a garden is with my grandpa and growing tomatoes with him. And he would keep a salt shaker in the garden and he would take me out and he'd take a pocket knife out of his pocket and cut open a tomato and right in the garden, we would eat this tomato. And so that is my moment of, in my mind of, I love to garden. I love this. This is me and my grandpa. This is a tomato and it's in the sun and there's salt and it's so good. Beautiful. Yeah. So you, you started growing vegetables. Mm -hmm. Um, and then was there a point where you started growing non edible things? Yeah. So, um, you know, I've, when I got married, so I got married pretty young. I was married at 21. Okay. Um, and I mean, we're in Utah, 21. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Once again, your brain is not fully developed and you're making these ginormous decisions, I know. but I married a fantastic guy. Um, so he did not want to rent an apartment. And so he said, go find a house. And so I did, I, I started house hunting and found a house that actually belonged to my great grandparents. And I did not realize it at the time. Yeah. So showed him this house, showed my parents this house. My mom was like, this is your great grandparents house. This is so weird. Yeah. So they had a farm in Farmington, um, just North of Salt Lake. And, um, if any of you remember the old Heidelberg restaurant, it was part of their property. It was a really big restaurant in the seventies. Like Robert Redford went there. Liberace went there. It was a big deal. Um, my mom was actually a hostess at that Wow, restaurant. It's like a um, whole legacy. Oh, I know. And my dad was the head chef there. What? So my dad used to throw knives. That's crazy. <laughs> my dad used to throw knives in the kitchen, but yes, he was a chef. So yeah, wow. at one point in his life. And um, Such, that's yeah, so much creativity and so many different mediums. That's yeah, really cool. It just keeps coming, right? There's just so many layers. And I think a lot of us have these layers, but you don't see it until you kind of sit down and really look at it. But mm-hmm. um, so this little house had one bedroom and the yard was a wreck. And so we bought this house. My husband's a builder, a contractor and does fine cabinetry and fine woodworking. And so he remodeled the house for us and I took over the outside. So I started growing trees and shrubs and cut flowers and big gardens, you know, on our little tiny plot of land. I felt huge to me, but it was a place where that creativity just really went. Did that always feel um, like intuitive to you? It has always felt intuitive wow. to me. Gardening is just part of who That's I amazing. am. So I'm so again like quite romanced by plants, <laughs> but I have no I have no intuition about it. Like to my to my heartbreak. Oh, <laughs> like, I keep thinking like actually I've been thinking lately like I want to like hire someone who's good at that stuff to like give me gardening lessons like on my property on your property right yeah so that you can kind of do it alongside them and you want to get the hands-on piece in there as well but yeah yeah it's something that some people have to work at some people just comes I mean there are different things that I struggle with sometimes I you know kill certain plants and struggle with them and it's just (sighs) getting it's almost like with me it's just kind of this weird thing I have to have a connection to the plant and it's it's a connection on a weird level. (laughs) I think it's amazing. It's like we understand each other. (laughs) I've seen it. I've seen it. Like my, one of my, uh, uncles is a a really gifted gardener. He lives in Texas and I, yeah, just like watching him like talk about his plants. I'm just like, 
you get it. You, you know, that guy, like (laughs) that friends. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't have that. I feel like I look at a plant and I'm like, what do you need? Like I have no, there's, I want to, I want to know, but I, I'm hoping that's, it's kind of like I have it in my mind as like something that I'll really figure out in my forties. Oh yeah. You'll (laughs) figure it out. And I think it just takes patience and you have to be in the right space too. So, I mean, it's something you can learn and it's not something that, you know, if you don't have the the green thumb, it's never going to come to you. Yeah. It's something you can totally develop. I believe you. I believe you. I don't, I don't see a clear path, but I do believe you. It will happen. <laughs> That's amazing. So you, so you started just growing all kinds of things on your mm-hmm. little plot while you were in nursing school, while you were being a nurse. Yep. Okay. So can, can you just like talk to me about this time of like st- stopping being a nurse starting a farm with your mom like what did it feel like what was the blend of like excitement and fear yeah there was a lot of excitement and fear both because there was a high price to pay if I failed it felt like so um yeah I was very entrenched in being a nurse I was working I had little kids at that point and um you know I I wanted my kids to eat healthy that was one of the driving factors mm-hmm. was that I wanted them to grow up with that life that I had had to be yeah. out in the soil and to also know how to grow things and make a good choice for themselves when it came to the table. And so we decided, you know, with this piece of property, let's let's just start farming it. Let's just start working on it, see what we can do. And we ended up just growing enough to go to the Kaysville Farmer's Market, which is a very, very small farmer's market. It's at the USU Botanical Center where I work now. Okay, yeah. And... Um, you know, we really enjoyed it. And it was this connection with people going there, working with these people, getting them to try something new. It was really exciting. Um, you know, but at the same time, I was still trying to juggle being a mom, being a nurse, working full time, all of the different things that women juggle. Right. And, um, you know, so we had successes and we had failures and there were crops that failed because I didn't, you know, have enough time time. to do it, or I didn't, I didn't know those plants well enough. And so it was definitely a learning curve. How many acres was this farm? So she has three acres and we were farming just on about an acre, acre and a half. Farming, like, were you doing animals yet? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you started um, all of that kind of at the same time or like? The chickens came first. So we had chickens for a long time prior to starting the farm and she had chickens at her place and I had chickens at my place. And so it was kind of a, it was a chicken thing. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I always say chickens are a gateway animal to farming. Once you get chickens, it all opens up. (laughs) We're not allowed. We have like an HOA, Uh but I like, I, I like hold out hope that like the zoning law, like someone will be like, this is ridiculous. Like let us homestead right like on our like suburban property right yeah um, i know and i think a lot of people have that dream so um I, you know and I think secret like, chickens col- yeah col- the culture i hope that like some like sustainability culture will kind of you know you would hope so especially with watching what happened with the pandemic over the yeah. last while i mean and food sources in Utah are are really not sustainable. So yeah. having these small backyard farms um, and homesteads are a key piece to yeah. us providing our own food. I hope it will change because like it's something like I could be wrong about this, but I went to college in Texas and te- I don't think Texas has like any of these kind of like you're not allowed to do this on your property because Texas is so 
Texas. Texas is Texas. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I think like, you know, for better or worse, like that is one piece that I think is kind of cool. Like, yeah. you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, like do whatever you want on your property. And I, I, I feel like that could work here too. It could. Like, it could. I mean, you know, you have to have some kind of law and regulation. So, you know, based on your property size and all of that kind sure. of thing, you know. So, um, but I do think that attitudes are shifting yeah. here. And I hope that they continue to some shift. Some middle ground. Yeah. yeah. There has Creativity. to be a place. Yeah. yeah. We have to creatively come up with a solution where people can yeah. do what they want to do this way. Um, so, I mean. So you had the chickens. You started growing vegetables first. Mm-hmm. Um, at, like in the, in the profession, yes. in, in the, in the farm as a business. I love that your mom was also selling drawings. Yes. Um, you don't have to have thoughts about this, but if you do, I want to hear them. Um, can you, can you talk about if you want to like a mother daughter business and like maybe what that felt like? It was, um, good and hard sometimes because, you know, she's your mom and who's in charge. Sure, yeah. <laughs> right. And so, a lot of the times we have the saying, there's too many hens in the hen house. Mm. And there were definitely times that felt like that, but other times that it was just absolutely wonderful. Mm. And we grew really close doing this. Um, my kids were with me constantly because they were just little. And so they would um, spend an incredible amount of time at her side and my side, out farming, out doing things, um, weeding with us. Did you feel like it was like a like a feminist endeavor? <laughs> Definitely. Um, you know, we were girls and we were going to do this and we, we bought an old Ford 1950 Ford truck and it was really difficult to drive Mm -hmm. and come hell or high water. I was going to drive that thing to the farmer's market (laughs) (laughs) and I did. And, um, you couldn't get it into first gear. It was so tough, but it was like a victorious moment to me to pull into the farmer's market in that rickety rusty truck that was about to fall apart. And I feel like to do that with your mom, like I, I'm not close with my mom. Uh, she's actually passed away, but she was like a narcissist and just very scary. Um, but uh, I can I can imagine being a woman in like your generation, our generation. I don't know how old you are, but um, <laughs> I'm in my forties. <laughs> yeah, I'm 33, so we're like, yeah. I would say it's it's a it's a similar generation. Similar. I'm like uh I'm like as millennial as like I'm like right in the. Like where millennials are. But anyway, um, I can imagine it being a cool feeling to feel like as a younger woman, like, hey, we're capable of stuff and to like bring your mom to kind of like, I don't know, like reverse engineer this kind of like up the line too, like send, send the, send like this kind of power, like up the line. Absolutely. sounds cool. Absolutely. And I mean, it, it was a really great thing that we did. And, um, it was incredibly empowering to be this girl that was bucking up against all these men at a farmer's market and saying, you know, I can do this too. In that same sense though, there was a lot of men that were farmers that would look at me and say, you're not a farmer. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of still exists out in the agriculture world. Of course it does. (laughs) Of course it does. I mean, I get that as a musician too. Like I I run a band and a lot of band leaders are men. And yeah, I am constantly also just dealing with that same stuff. You know what it feels like. Yeah. So, I mean, there is that, but it it was kind of a, a very 
kind of stand up for women moment um, in my life. And yeah, I felt tough and I felt like I could do things. And my mom felt tough. And having just lost her husband, it was a really good um, way to focus her energy and to keep her going and feel empowered at that same time. And basically we were giving life to other people by growing food. So, you know, life had been taken away and she had this chance to give it back. That's So. so cool. It was good. So you've been, you started that project like about 10 years ago? So that project started in 2008, 2009, somewhere okay. in there. So yeah. a little more than 10 years. Yeah, a little more. Cool. Yeah. So um, we're not doing that anymore because yeah, we yeah. just don't have time now. Sure. But um, I just moved... wanted to get an idea of like how much time has passed. Yeah. yeah what what yeah. happened? We, we moved on from that. Um, so we did the farmer's market. We started a CSA, which is community supported agriculture. If you're not aware of that, it's where you buy a share of someone's farm and then you get like a bag of food or basket. Yeah. Um, every week. So we did that. And, um, then I decided that I needed a little bit more knowledge. I didn't quite know enough to be really, really good at this despite having, you know, a background doing it and how I grew up. Um, so I, I called Utah state university. They have an off campus satellite kind of yeah. classroom place there in Kaysville. Um, and so I, I called them and they hooked me up with a fantastic woman named Donna. And she said, Oh, well, you're already selling at a farmer's market. Maybe you just want to come and take a vegetable production class. And I said, sure, just sign me up. Let's just take vegetables and see how this goes. Cool. And so vegetables was not an easy class. It was a 4,400 level class. And yeah. I had not been in school for quite some time. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into? And so at night, after working as a nurse or being a mom all day, whatever my day um, was filled with, I would go and take this vegetables class mm-hmm. and work on um, these projects that were assigned to us and learn how to grow some some vegetables, kind of take that deep dive. And cool. absolutely loved every wow. second of it. I was like, I'm back. That's like <laughs> such a that's such a thing. Like, I don't know that I've thought about this in a long time, but I felt similarly when I started I My degrees are in jazz performance, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I remember I like have this, it's like such a feeling, like it's like a visceral, like I can remember the exact feeling of being like exhausted, challenged in a way that was like terrifying, like getting an assignment and feeling like I don't even know where to begin and also feeling like thrilled, right? totally exhilarated, like just like this is this feels right this feels right it's such a bizarre combination of emotions um like the difficulty combined Mm -hmm. with like the elation right it's so like uh rich it is absolutely it's like a big poignant feeling it is it cool. is and kind of defining in a sense because you're like i can do this it's i can clue. i can conquer this it's such a clue that you're doing the right thing when something is that hard yeah and you still are just like can't get a grin off your face <laughs> no, like, you're like this is right <laughs> yeah. i should be here yeah, yeah so that's exactly what it yeah. was i was yeah. like this is right i yeah. should totally be here so um at that point i called donna back and i said you know what more, I, please i would really like to take a few more classes yeah. and so she's like well let's just let's just look at what you know what we could put you in and you probably don't want another degree because I had a bachelor's degree in nursing and 
I said, no, maybe I want, maybe Maybe I want another degree. Let's, let's look at what that looks like. And so, I mean, it was actually really quite fun because I had all of the prerequisites done from my nursing. So I didn't have to do any of the math or history stuff. I just had to dive into plants. So it's a second bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. in what? Plant science. Cool. And um, so I finished that. And while I was doing that, um, they, they get people to, or they get students to take an internship to participate in an internship. And Donna said, Oh, you farmed, you don't have to do it. And I said, no, I kind of want to, I kind of want to, I want to dig into something different. And so I applied to be the fruit intern at the research station in Kaysville. So with the botanical center in Kaysville, that's a hundred acres. And then there's another 50 acres that is research experiment station and, um, got hooked up with that position with an incredible professor named Dr. Brent Black and became his intern and I wouldn't leave. (laughs) So it was only supposed to last a summer, but then they kept me through the winter and through the next summer and it was time to graduate. And I was like, well, I'm not done. I I love this. I can't leave yet. So, um, I, I, made an appointment with Dr. Black up on campus and went and talked to him. And he said, you know, I actually have a really big research project coming up that has a grant that's funding it. Would you be interested in being a grad student? I said, absolutely. So went to school for another two years and got a master's in fruit production and plant science. Fruit production. I know of all things, right? Stop it. This is weird. That's so cool. (laughs) Okay. I have some questions that are like probably a bit ignorant, but I'm very curious and I'm interviewing you. Yeah. You can ask me whatever. Are there like... Among growers, plant scientists, gardeners, um, is there like a, is there like a cultural divide between like edible plants and like ornamental plants? I don't know that there's so much of a cultural divide, but, um, you know, people specialize in what they love. Okay. So, um, there will be people that specialize in turf or ornamentals or trees. And we all kind of have that one thing that just speaks to us. We get the big picture with horticulture and we take a lot of classes and things like that, that really teach us the broad picture. But then when you get the the chance to dive and you get to pick what you want to dive into, um, you know, like some of my coworkers, JD Gunnell, who is a um, professor up in Cache County, he is so focused on trees and he loves trees, but he also loves edibles. And so it's kind of the opposite of me where I love edibles, but I also love trees. Like how I mean, I think, I think the thing that I'm actually wondering is like whether there are different kind of like value systems for plants that are like useful. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, like, I I don't know, like if, if, if these are things that you are talking about, like as colleagues. Absolutely. I mean, there are plants that feed us and there are plants that cool us and there are plants that provide oxygen. I mean, they all have all useful. They all have some good feature about them. I mean, when we look at things, even weeds have things about them that are wonderful. They have the ability to disperse and they have the ability to survive. And a lot of them are edible herbs, things Mm. like that, that we don't really think about. So all plants have some kind of value. Well, maybe not, maybe not filled blind weed. I'm thinking about like (laughs) And maybe like, again, I'm just kind of ignorant, but like, like agriculture versus like ornamentals. Yeah. Like, or something yeah. like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, it's, I'm not trying to ask a leading question. No, I'm just you're like, good. I'm no. Curious. And I, I can see <laughs> that thought that, you know, maybe, maybe the edibles should be elevated and ornamentals even, yeah. maybe should not be so much, but I mean, I definitely don't think that. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, when you think about it, 
you're like, hey, this one provides food and sustenance. And, you know, this one's just nice to look at. So well, and then my follow up <laughs> question is like, so, okay, so there's that, like, is there, yeah. And, and I guess you're saying there's kind of not like a, yeah. And then my follow up question is like, what percentage of, and like, you can, you don't have to give me a percentage, but like, I'm curious, like of people who work with plants, what, you know, gr- how many of those people think of what they're doing as art and creativity? I don't think many of us think of it as art and okay. creativity. It's just like when you reached out for me or to yeah. me for this interview, yeah. I was like, I'm not an artist. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people, but it's weird. Cause I, so I love thinking about creativity as like such a broad kind of a thing and medium as such a broad kind of a thing. And I am obsessed with the things that live on the edges. Okay. Because we all know that gardens are art. Like, of course they are. You know, mm-hmm. we go to gardens, like it, it's an exhibit, you know? Like, right. We, we go to gardens. So certainly, like, certainly, I think without a doubt, there is at least a subset of like growing that is sculptural. Oh, for sure. And, and even a canvas. For sure. And even when, so when I'm on a farm, when I'm looking at, you know, rows of trees that are apple trees that are planted, to me, it is the most beautiful, beautiful. stunning thing I've ever seen. But I don't know that everybody sees it the way that I see it. Sure. And so I don't know, I kind of discount it sometimes. I said that because just last night, the wedding that I, that I played last night was on a little farm, um, in a barn and they had these rows of trees and I just like could not stop looking at those trees. It was like the way that they had been growing. It made me think like there was a certain type of wind pattern and they, all the trees looked like they were like leaning a little uh-huh. and like they had just put their finger in a socket. Like they're <laughs> like, they just looked very like styled. I like that. <laughs> I just felt like the, this little orchard has such pizzazz. Yeah. Like they just looked like all the trees looked just like a little, you know what I mean? They looked like cool kind of like they were leaning a little and then oh, yeah. they had this like hairdo. They had hairdos. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally get that. Yeah. Well, and I just don't know that people see things in the same light. Like when I look at turf, I may not see it the way a, a turf scientist sees it mm. and as the most beautiful thing that they've ever seen, right. but they may see it that way. And, you know, I, I see definite, you know, good things that turf brings, but it may not be the most beautiful thing to me. Totally. And I think, I think this is like the whole reason why I want to talk to people about their mediums, because hearing someone talk about like, okay, but here's what I see. Like, this is the art and the beauty that I see. Um, it's so valuable. And I think it's again, that exercise of like paradigm shifting, perspective building, um, you know, having appreciation for like these minutia that someone is an expert in and that someone like puts so much love and care. Um, and I'm, I I kind of started saying earlier and then distracted myself, but I'm really fascinated by, I love talking to creatives that are on the edge of like art and craft Mm -hmm. or like art. And I don't know what you'd call it. Like industry, (laughs) you know, something, um, I, because I think, I think that's, I think that's sometimes where like the most valuable conversations are. It's easy to look at the ballet and be like, oh yeah, art. Right. But I think it's everywhere. It so is. talking to people that are kind of on those edges, it's, it's my favorite. It is everywhere. It absolutely is everywhere. And, you know, 
like I said, it depends on your perspective. It depends on your background. It depends on what you see, what your eye sees. And I'm, I, re- I have this very clear moment where I was up on the research farm really early one morning and watching the sun come up in an orchard. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is it for me. This yeah. is, this is my place. This is my home. I'm supposed to be right here. And I've yeah. never left since, you know? And yeah. so those, those edges where you may not think you find that is exactly where sometimes you do. Yeah. And hearing like someone, you know, give like a, like a testimony about like, <laughs> this is why this is art. This is why this is beauty. This is like, what do I see? Right. So what, what, what do you want to tell me and the listeners about like the things that you get to see that we might not like know how to see? Oh, there are so many things. And it's just, it's taking time taking time to walk through a garden, taking time to stop and actually see how a flower is formed. Um, Thinking about that something started from a teeny tiny seed and is now a massive structure in front of you. Um, It's art isn't fast, I don't think, and neither is creativity. And so it, it really is just walking through without a preconceived notion, without, you know, oh, it's just a garden. Oh, it's just this. But to stop and just stop in time for a minute. Like I was walking through um, one of our cute um, older gentlemen that works up on the research farm came and grabbed me the other day. And he said, you know what? There's the most beautiful flowers up in a research plot. And I said, oh, I know that plot. And he's like, oh, they're beautiful. Have you been up to see them lately? And I said, you know, I haven't. I said, do you have five minutes? Do you want to run up with me? And so we both hopped in this little John Deere gator and drove up and sat there for a minute and walked through these flowers. And it was, it was kind of early in the morning and the light was really beautiful. And yeah. And just sitting there and looking at the way the, the petals came off of that flower was an incredible moment for me Mm. and to appreciate it. Yeah. You know, so I, I would love to tell all of you to just stop and take a moment and just really think, um, one of those moments for me has been like when I go to California and I've been in the redwoods and you walk in to this grove of trees and you know, they're just massive, so, so large and so old and these incredible structures that could tell you so many stories. They've seen everything. And to think about where that tree came from, how it grew. And you know, I'm like seen, yeah, Yeah. what it's seen. And I'm not even really, a tree person. I'm more of a vegetable person, but I appreciate trees. And to be able to sit there every time I go there, it drops me right to my knees. It's like a spiritual moment for me. And if you will give the chance for the plants to communicate some of those things to you, to just sit and listen and take it in, you will feel that creativity. I love that. That's so beautiful. And it's, yeah, I know, I, I don't, I definitely know this feeling. And mm-hmm. it, it really is. And I, and I also feel like, you know, maybe this is like silly, but I feel like it is also just like this clue. It's like a practice. It's like a, a practice of like valuing life, like being curious about life. And like, if we can learn to like have that kind of like reverence and care and like paying close attention to a flower, like how are you going to not pay close attention and care to a child? You right. know, like absolutely or to, you know, anybody, I don't know, or anything like it's just it's like cultivating like a yeah, like a reverence and a gratitude for like the things that are just that we take for granted. Right. Um, I, I agree with that 100 percent. 
100%. Is there anything you want to say specifically about like, so again, I don't, I don't know much, but I do, lo- I do love to hear plant people talk about plants. Um, <laughs> but like, I watched this documentary called like, I think it was called like the biggest little farm. Oh yeah. And it was, it, yeah. I just like, I watched it twice and I loved like, I loved hearing how they would like solve this problem with this other thing. And it just felt like so, so creative and yeah. like fun and amazing. Is there anything you want to say about like creativity in terms of deciding which vegetables to grow near each other and like having them work together, like just to sparkle a little curiosity for Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you can lay out a garden however you want. There's really no hard and fast rule. Um, I do remember as a child, so my uncle had a house in the avenues in Salt Lake and really tiny yard. And he loved to grow vegetables. He had served an LDS mission in Italy and um, had learned to cook really well. So he loved to grow vegetables, eggplants, things like that. And he had them interspersed as you would walk through this little tiny garden in his backyard. You would see, you know, ornamental plants, but then there would be an eggplant. Love, love it. There would be a cherry tomato coming over a rock wall. There are no rules. Of course there are. (laughs) Like, it's so weird that we would take that for granted, though. Like... Yeah, it's like we think like plants that we eat need to be in their own little rows and right. stuff. Like they're just plants. Like it's, it, but it just, I, I think it speaks to this like, you know, just these kind of patterns and compartmentalization that we get into that right. we think like a tomato can't ble- be next to a rose bush. Oh you no, know? totally can. <laughs> of course it can't. I mean, it's so obvious. And I think anybody would be like, oh, well, yeah, you can just plant, you can plant anything just anywhere right um i mean in terms of like shoulds i I don't i not in terms of soil (laughs) right right well and (laughs) in terms of like function right yeah um, well and how you learn is by doing so you may plant a tomato by a rose bush and find out that it does not work for your situation and what you're doing maybe you don't like harvesting tomatoes next to a rose bush because you're going to get you know stuck by thorns thorny right so The great thing about gardening, kind of the magical thing about it is you learn as you go and no year is ever the same. So Mm -hmm. you change, you move, it is very fluid. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I do some things kind of the same, but I never do them exactly the same. And that's because I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And everything should be like that. Like, yeah, just. I don't know, getting out of our patterns. Like it's, I think it's probably like a very, very perfect place to learn creativity. I mean, what's more creative than like working with a living thing. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It has to, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's, you can't control it. You can't. Yeah. It's going to do what it wants. The other thing I would love people to know is to try new things. I mean, if you're going to grow a garden and you want to start, you know, trying to do this, don't be afraid to pick up some seed catalogs to explore and every year, you know, plant the things you love to eat, of yeah. course, because you want the garden to be pleasurable and you want to only grow things that you like, right? Yeah. But then pick one or two things that you've never grown before. Yeah. A weird variety, something striped, something, Ugh, you know, I'm purple, so, something it. that catches the sun a different way. And you will fall in love with yeah. your garden. I'm in like a bunch of gardening groups on Facebook. I don't uh-huh. grow anything, but I'm not not blowing smoke. Like I, I'm... I'm interested. I just like, don't know how that's where it starts but, though. <laughs> um, but I follow, I'm, I follow all these like, um, 
what is what's the word not like a vintage but like heirloom, heirloom. Uh-huh. yeah like she knows um yeah heirloom seed companies right. and groups and uh i love i love seeing like a tomato that's just like a different color than i've ever seen or like a weird turnip mm-hmm. amazing it's so like, much fun what joy what fun what magic Oh, it's the, it's just, it's so exciting. It really yeah. is exciting. I mean, to me, it's like the best thing ever. I can hardly stand it when I get a seed packet in my hands that I've been wanting forever or is something totally. that's so weird and was so hard to find. I, yeah. I guarantee it's the, like a very similar feeling to like, you know, a painter getting some like new paint that's oh, like a, yeah. and it just seems so clear to me that it's like the same we're talking about the same feeling. Yeah. Well, um, we're painting, but with plants. <laughs> right. Um, which so I, I was telling my husband last night, cause he was like, who, who are you interviewing tomorrow? And I was like, a, a gardener. Like, I don't know. Is that, is that like what you like to be called? Yeah. A gardener's um, fine. I don't know. Yeah. But I, that's what I said. And he was like, Oh, and I, and he was like, you haven't ever interviewed a gardener before. And I was like, not for a lack of trying. Like, <laughs> I've been doing this podcast two years and I have been trying to get a, a, a plant person to come on the podcast for two years oh wow and nobody will because i think i think uh you guys don't think of yourselves as artists we don't and that's <laughs> yeah. the first thing i said to you i'm not an artist what do you want to talk what what but yeah. i hope that this like i don't know i hope you think of yourself as an artist and that you tell your other sculptural plant friends and let me interview them too <laughs> i Give, will i put will in tell a good them word. i will i, I really want to talk also to people who build like ornamental gardens because mm-hmm. it is sculpture it's it so is. interesting to me yeah it is is there anything else that you want to say about creativity and or uh, art or you know what a soapbox you want to kind of don't be afraid on? is the one thing I want to tell people out there don't be afraid to try something new so I was a nurse I was entrenched in my career I was you know I I had been in that job for quite some time it was really scary to change mm. but don't be afraid because fantastic things come when you follow your passion totally. and when you're passionate about something, I mean, people say, Oh yeah, you'll never make a living at that. You'll never be, you know, Oh no. If you're passionate about it, mm-hmm. it all follows. It will come mm-hmm. and just don't be afraid. I, I meet so many women cause I teach the master gardener program and um, women that um, have given their whole lives to their children and their yeah. families and have done such a wonderful job raising their families. And they're like, you know, I, I would really like to do this. And I'm like, do it. And they're like, do you think I can? I'm, yeah. I'm older. Yes, you can. Of you absolutely you can. can. Yeah. Go and do what makes you happy and find joy in it because it will change your life Amen. 100%. Oh, I love it. Gives me like all the shivers. <laughs> what's like, what's on the horizon for you? What, what projects are you going to do next? Oh, we have so many things going. So, um, you know, the USU Botanical Center is where I'm located in Kaysville. And, you know, we have this kind of 100-acre slate to play with. Mm. Um, we just put in a pollinator garden, which has, has been wonderful. Yay. Wonderful. But we have a succulent garden coming. And mm. um, that will be a new medium for me to play with is succulents wow. um, that are hardy in Utah. And um, so many different things that, cool. you know, ideas that pop up and things that we want to explore. It's, it's actually kind of hard to filter out all the ideas and figure out what we want to do next. Totally. But, um, that's an art problem for sure. <laughs> I'm like, I want to do everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why can't I do everything? But, um, that's probably the next thing for cool. us is that succulent garden. 
cool. Okay, I always ask everybody two questions at the end. The first is, on this day, what's your dream project or your dream collaboration? Ooh, my dream collaboration. And, oh, and you gosh. can it doesn't have to be practical. Like you could go anywhere <laughs> in the world, any kind of plants, like oh, okay, multimedia if you want. Anywhere in the world, I want to go to Italy and I want to farm in Italy with somebody cool. s- somewhere and grow olives and tomatoes oh, and yes. watch them be made into the most exquisite food for yeah. someone. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe me, maybe I'll eat it. (laughs) Totally. I'm sure you watched salt, fat, acid. Oh yes. Uh, watching that. I just felt like, like fully full magic, like high magic. (laughs) So beautiful. So incredible. So incredible. I, I, I tell my kids if I ever get to Italy, just count on me never coming home because that is, that is the dream for me to go there to work that soil. Um, and you know, that that historical it's it's kind of like mecca for me yeah yeah that's awesome so. and then um tell everybody where to find your work like if they want to, do you do tours at the garden we or? do yeah so you can visit the usu botanical center it's open every day of the week from dawn to dusk um it's at 80 east 725 south in kaysville mm-hmm. um the grounds are open you're welcome to just come and explore we do lots of events so in the spring we have a heritage fair and baby animal days in the fall we do a scarecrow walk. It's on right now, but I don't know that it will stay on while we, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, in the fall, look for that next year. And, um, you know, you're welcome to come and explore the gardens anytime. And you can find, uh, we're on social media as well. So I'm, I'm on social media with a couple other professors that have different interests. So I mentioned JD. Um, you're you're a professor now too? Yes. I'm a professor of horticulture for USU. Um, and, um, JD is also a professor, but he's in Cache County and he has a focus on trees. And then Jerry Goodspeed, who is the director of the Botanical Center and also professor, um, has a focus more on ornamentals. So Amazing. he's kind of your ornamental guy. Okay. But yeah, um, put in a good word for me. I, yes, I definitely <laughs> will. But um, so you can find us on Instagram at Garden Guys and Gal. Yeah, so you can come and follow us there, or you know, you can follow me too. I'm Utah Farm Gal on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Sheridan, thank you so much. This was so lovely. It was so much fun. It was great for me to sit down and actually think about what I do and how it is creative. So thank you for that. It's my joy. It's my absolute pleasure. I'm so. It was so lovely to talk to you. Thank Thank you. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.